Okay, good afternoon everybody. It's nice to be here. It's been a while since Emma and I have been here. Um, I'll give you a little bit of an update on why we haven't been here. Um, yeah, just there's been some good news in my life. Um, I've recently been uh, picked up as a youth pastor in the southeastern suburbs. And um, that's probably going to mean you're going to see us even less now. Um, but that's kind of been the journey and I've been on for the last uh, little while, just kind of working through what we're supposed to be, where we're going. And so um, I'm officially a Polish youth pastor. I don't know any words of Polish, so that's going to be interesting. Um, it's in my old neighborhood where I've grown up in the southeast, which is really, I'm really excited about because when I started ministry, part of my calling, I felt, was to go back into that context and just be relevant to the people and the culture that I've grown up in. So I'm really excited about what God's got planned. And yeah, thank you guys. It's really small here, so it's really intimate. It's, it's, it's a new dynamic. I've never <laughs> preached in this kind of context. I feel like we're going to have a discussion of sorts. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, my wife's going to look at me like that a few times in this sermon because I have a tendency to rabbit on a bit, and I'm going to try and really be really succinct and to the point. And um, I'm just going to pray a special prayer. Thank you for your prayer, but extra Holy Spirit power can never hurt. <laughs> okay. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this beautiful city church here, Lord. And um, whilst it's rainy, Lord, and there are a few of us here, Lord, I just want to pray for a special blessing on all of us here who are present today. Um, I pray that the words that I uh, speak will be words that have uh, been informed by study in the word, Lord. I pray that it's words that come from your throne, Lord. I pray that it will be relevant to us. And um, I also pray for those who aren't here with us today. Um, may we leave these Sabbath hours today blessed and ready for a new week, Lord, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning, uh, I'm, I'm a Bible teacher by trade, as well as the theology graduate, so when I preach, I kind of teach Bible more than anything else. That's been my job for the last year, and I like doing it. So I'm kind of going to be doing that today. And today, I'm going to be based mostly in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have any Bibles on you, your phones, um, I'm going to be reading through Galatians chapter 5. That's what we're going to be today. And so if you want to get uh, your Bible, your iPhone, whatever your iDevice is at, get that ready. We're going to be basically there. Okay. And Galatians 5, uh, without any uh, reading through chapter 1 through to chapter 4, I'll give you a bit of background information. So basically... What is the book of Galatians all about? Well, what we find is in the book of Galatians, we have a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. And most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul. He is uh, formerly Saul of Tarsus, has a conversion experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in a powerful way, God says to him, I want to use you. And he does use Paul in a powerful way. And... Paul extends his influence far beyond the church in Judea. And he goes to all of these different places to spread the good news of the gospel. And one of those places he goes to is the church of Galatia, okay, one of the Roman provinces. And there in Galatia, a, a new church is founded and things are prosperous, things are good. It's much like this little community here. 
Um, it's growing. Jesus is there. People are getting to know God in a real and powerful way. And what Paul traditionally would do is he was a, a preaching evangelist sort of a guy. He would stay in town for maybe a year or so, maybe a few months, and he would get people to a place where they, they really knew who Jesus was and and then they were independent and he would go on. Okay, And that's basically how churches were operated back in those days. And where it comes back to Paul, uh, whilst he's on one of his travels, that things haven't gone terribly well for this church in Galatia. Okay, uh, In Galatians 2 verse 4, um, he says that there are some people who are probably messing the, up the way things have been set up. And he refers to these guys as agitators and false brothers. And he uses some more harsh word by saying that these people have come to spy on the freedom um, that the Galatian church had in Christ. Powerful language that Paul's using here to describe a new group of people who had come into the church. Okay, And I guess the question is, why is this important to us? Why is this relevant the experience that the Galatian church had so many years ago. Uh, I'm going to suggest to you today that we ourselves can be like the agitators in our own minds. We can agitate ourselves when we come to grow spiritually. And there can also be people in our lives who inform us. And I think as a church that's just budding, it's starting, it's growing, it's really good to have a firm foundation in Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatians to remind them why it is we need to be firmly based in Jesus. One of the things that these people who'd come along, and he, they've got a name, the theologians call them the Judaizers, okay? One of the problems that this group was proposing was that to be a Christian, you had to be a Jew, okay? Christianity came out of a Jewish religion a Jewish context, there was a lot of ceremonies, a lot of different things that people did uh, to express their religion. And Christianity comes out of this context. And what we see is these Judaizers came along and Paul kind of hasn't really gone down this path of let's keep all of these Jewish traditions. And the Judaizers say, hey look, Paul was kind of wrong in what he was telling you guys to do. He's kind of right, yeah, Jesus is really good, but there's all these different things that we need to do as Jewish people which are really important today. And that was the big problem that Paul was trying to address. Do we need to, to keep all of these uh, rules, these rituals that have been part of our history as a people for so many years? Okay. And the question I suppose that I ask myself when I read through this, what are the things in my life that I'm making traditions, that I'm making uh, essential, and are they holding me back from Jesus? And you know, after you know a bit of reflection in my life over the years, I've come to realize that there have been things that I have done, which kind of were were drawing me away from Jesus and were drawing me into another place. And Paul is really wanting to to knit this sort of thinking, this mentality in the bud, because it was actually stifling the growth of the church in Galatia. Okay, and so we're going to be exploring how does Paul deal with these kinds of issues. All right? And so, like I said, we're going to be in um, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, um, and we're going to see from verse 1 how he addresses this issue. And it's an issue of legalism. It's a word that gets thrown around a bit, but it's basically the premise is it's what you do that really counts. 
how you perform as a Christian is really important to Jesus. And that's really kind of anti-gospel. Okay, and we're going to see that as we explore. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul says to his friends in Galatia, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So let's stop there for a minute. I'm going to be doing a lot of stopping. Walk, stop, walk, stop. So what is Paul trying to say? Okay, I'll read that verse again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What the Bible often teaches about freedom, it's kind of quite opposite to what our concepts of freedom are as a society in the 21st century. Okay? Um, we believe that we are free people. You know, we, um, we celebrate as Australians that we are free. It's in our national anthem. We are young and we are free. And with that freedom comes all of these rights and response, well, more rights that we have and we're owed as people. And it's a right to have free speech. It's a right to, to dress and be who I want, um, to, to, to perform the religions I want or, or whatever you want. Freedom is a right that we have as human beings. But when we look at the concept of what is our right when we become Christians, it can be quite different. Our sense of freedom as Christians, sometimes we have this picture that it's, it's freedom to be to, 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 to do whatever we want. Jesus died for us, we've been saved, and, and now we're, we're great, we can do whatever we want, let's have a party. Okay? But freedom in the Bible, after a long study, I've come to realize that some, sometimes our thinking, my thinking in particular, was fundamentally flawed. Okay? We think that, that, that freedom in the Bible is all about being free to, to, to be these perfect people. Okay? Um, but freedom is more often in the Bible used in the context of being free to serve God the way he created us to be, well, to serve. And that was something that really started to change my thinking on my personal journey. And I think Paul is trying to get that to the people from the outset. You got to know Jesus, and then you found freedom. And now you've put on your yoke of slavery. Freedom is kind of paradoxical in that sort of sense. We, we think that you know, it's whatever we want to do, but freedom when it's in the context of Jesus and what he's done for us, it's freedom to live the life he called us to. Okay? Let's keep seeing what Paul has to say. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, he, he adds this. Um, it said, God made him who knew no sin to become... The, to become uh, sorry, let me read it again. That God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. So basically, this is a, it's a short, concise example of the gospel right here. Jesus takes our sin and our death. There's no more slavery to sin or death because of him. And so the point is, sometimes we think as Christians, our freedom is now that Jesus saved us, we have to start being good, moral people. And I think the problem that the Galatians church had was that their Christianity became a moralism. Okay? And let me explain what I mean by a moralism. A moralism is saying we've got to do right, we've got to be good. Not that being good and, and being right is the wrong thing, but it's when we're pursuing that outside of Jesus that becomes a problem. Okay? 
And without Jesus, we're trying all the time to be good people, to be righteous people. We actually find that we can put on that yoke of slavery again that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Okay? And see, this is the mark of a Christian freedom. Christian freedom, it's not longer about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about being good, it's about him being good. It's not about me pleasing God, it's about him uh, sorry about Jesus pleasing God. It's not about what I can do. It's what, a, it's what I can do through his power in me. And when we come to know Jesus, that's when we start to live these lives of transformation. We're not trying to be perfect people. We're not trying to, to, to be perfect. And that's what the Galatian people are trying to do. Going back to all of these Jewish traditions, they were trying to do things that made them fall in good standing with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but... I grew up in a church my whole life. And part of my Christianity growing up was, Ryan, don't do this, do that. Ryan, be like this, don't be like that. Then I started theology, and that got a lot worse. Ryan, you've got to be this kind of person. You cannot do that. Would a theology student be watching this movie? Hmm? You know, and you'd be in the movie with somebody else, like, well, why are you watching this movie? A theology student would be watching this movie. And, you know, our Christianity becomes a list of do's and don'ts, and... You often see, you know, as a teacher, you see what, what it's like with students who, whose parents have kind of, kind of hovered over them their whole life. Do this, don't do that. The end result is rebellion. And, and I think Paul's trying to address this issue because he doesn't want rebellion to be the ultimate end of the Galatian church. Freedom in Jesus stops us from, from trying to do things because it's him inside of us living out the, the right tendencies we want to have. And that's something that's taken me so long. I can't emphasize this enough. It might be like an old record playing, but for me it's just been such an important point in my life to know and understand that it's not, it's not me doing the good things. It's Jesus inside of me who's living the good life. So there's consequences to actually living with this yoke of slavery on us. And verse 2 of Galatians 5, Paul tells us about this. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So basically what this verse is saying and, and, and this isn't the only place you can see this in the Bible, but the Bible says there are two ways of believing how we can come to be in a saving relationship with Jesus. The first way is to say that it's what we do that matters. The second way the Bible teaches we can believe that we are, are saved is by believing in what Jesus has done for us. Okay, I'm going to emphasize a part of verse 2. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. This was the big thing that these Judaizers were trying to get uh, the church in Galatia to do. They were trying to get the men to be circumcised. Okay, scary thought. Okay, they were trying to get the men to be circumcised. Okay, and circumcision was an act that, that God had given Abraham way back in the book of Genesis as a sign between him and and his creator, that he, he was a follower of the living God. And it was something that Jewish people have done ever since then to this day. And 
the question that arose in this church was, is it necessary for Gentiles to have to go through this circumcision process? Okay, And Paul's saying, look, if you want to be a kind of person who says you've got to do things that the Bible teaches, Old Testament traditions and so forth, then you're going to have to do this 110% if you think this is what's going to make you holy in the sight of God. Okay, And the problem is not so much with circumcision itself. It was a symbol of something important. But when symbols lose their meaning and their significance, they can often become traditions and legalisms. And this is what was happening in the church of Galatia. Paul was trying to say, look guys, you think by having this little procedure, you're going to be, you're going to be in a saving relationship with Jesus. Well, if you think that, then you're going to have to follow this out logically. You're going to have to start being an, a, a Christian who lives a 110% perfect life without Jesus. Because what you're doing is you're putting faith in a work and not the person who does the work in you. And that's, again, the big crux of this chapter. Okay? What we see is then ultimately, I guess in our own lives, is that Christianity can can often be this, this sort of battle in our minds between having a high view of God and a low view of man, or alternatively, we can sometimes have a low view of God and a high view of man. And what the people in Galatia had done was they had elevated these people, these Galatian teachers, these Judaizers, and they had elevated them to a place where, where they were more important than God. And it was what they needed to do that was coming in between their saving relationship with Jesus. And we need to be careful that we don't do the same things today. Verse 4. Let's keep reading. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That's the consequence if we take our actions to its logical conclusion. Harsh words that Paul's speaking. And it's not always easy to preach through some of these verses in the Bible, but you know the, you know, the Bible does teach us that all, word, all of the Bible is God-breathed, and, and it's something that we need to work through if it's there. And the reality is, look, if we are going down this track in our lives, then, then there, are, there are consequences we need to deal with. So there's the doom and gloom part of this. And I don't like to stay in the doom and gloom part where we're here to preach the gospel. Gospel is, you know, there's part judgment and this is what we need to do, but there's also good news. Okay, in verse 5 we get into the good news. And that is how do we get this righteousness? How do we get into this good saving relationship with Jesus? Verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For through the Spirit, I'll read it again, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. There are two big words in that, in that verse. And when you put them together, we kind of get the big movement of the Reformation. Okay, the big crux that Martin Luther came to many years ago was that we are saved through righteousness by faith. It's through a faith relationship with Jesus that we are saved. It's not through things that we do, but it's through believing in what he has done. The dictionary definition of faith, let me remind us all, this is the Apple dictionary, so it might not be perfect, but here it is. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That is what faith is. And so it's the Spirit of God indwelling the children of God that leads us to Jesus. So it's Him inside of us. Let's see verse 6. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Without faith, everything that we do as Christians just loses its meaning. In this context, without faith, circumcision becomes meaningless, but I could easily bring it into to religious contexts that we're more familiar with. You could even say, um, for in Christ Jesus, baptism or not being baptized doesn't count unless we have faith working through love. Okay? We could say, um, without Jesus, um, having communion or not having communion doesn't count unless we have faith working through love. And so whilst there's a context way back in the first century, back in, in, in the Mediterranean world, Okay, we can easily see how this could be us. You know, I'm the first to put my hands up and said, I've just gone through the motions in church and I've just been a good person. I got baptized, I, I take communion, I say sorry, and I go through all of these things. I put my money in the little bag when it comes around. And I do all of these things, but without faith working through love, what is the point? And Paul's really trying to get the Galatians to wrap their head around this. Why are we doing what we do without faith working through love? He continues, verse 7, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He was saying, look, they started out in the right direction, but it seems that these new people who came into their lives, uh, they, they threw a spanner in the works. There was something that looked good about what they were doing. There was something that was a bit shiny, a bit glossy. And I only say this because for me as a theology student, you know, we, we always love um, hearing the latest cool teaching. What is this church doing over here? Well, apparently, you know, um, this church over here, they have like smokers, you know, singing the worship song. And it's all cool because smoking's cool. You know, well, there's all kinds of funky little trends are going around in Christianity. And theology students just love to go, oh, what's the latest hot thing going around? You know, um, and, and the easy thing to do is go, to focus on the cool, hot trend, but not to focus on Jesus. And I've made that mistake as well. I, it's a lot of mistakes Ryan's made. Um, it's a wonder how I got employed, but anyway. <laughs> so, that's what's going on. Okay, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I think we saw this. there's this kind of yeah big appeal of these new speakers who've come to town. There's a new teaching. It's awesome. It's different. It's vibrant. Let's go with it. The reality is the Galatian church was not in a good place. And we see that in verse 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This great new teaching that you're seeing, it's not so great. It's not from him who calls you. And I guess, guys, a lot of us, we have our own private study in our own lives. We all read the Bible, um, I hope, you know, um, and we're growing and we're learning. And and one thing I've been really challenged by... um, Christian speakers from many different denominations. I, I listen and read a wide range of books. But I'm finding that a lot of people today are suggesting that, you know, there's so many, you know, there's a Kurong or a word store right there on Flinders Street. It's massive. You ever been to one of those stores? It's like, where do I start? And, you know, in buying all these books, and I'm not saying Christian books are bad, but I find that there's, there's this kind of, I think the Holy Spirit's moving in a lot of Christian leaders today, and there's a big call to just go back to the Word. Let's go back to the simple Word. Let's trust in what God said. It's okay to have books, but when those books take the place 
of our main book, the Bible, I think we have a problem. And we have to be careful because sometimes the persuasions that are in this, as Paul's saying, they're not from him who calls us. And so we have to really be careful with the things we choose to read um, and we choose to digest. Read is digest, Uh haha. But the point is we do need to be careful in what we absorb because sometimes they can lead us into a bad place. He adds to this um, idea, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay, I'm using an ESV version. Leaven uh, for us is yeast. Okay, um, and you know you add a little bit of yeast to to the the bread that you're baking for any of you bakers out there, and you see the effects. You know it only takes a few minutes, and it has a crazy impact on the dough. And Paul's saying, look, a little bit of bad teaching can go a long way to doing a lot of bad things in a church, just like the church you guys are in, Galatia. Okay? And so he really wants this church to be vigilant. He wants them to be on their guard. And it's really important that we as Christians learn to be on our guard. Um, there's so many things out there, like I said. It's so easy to be swept away into the big things that are going around. Um, I remember uh, Emma and I, we, we went to the movies a few weeks ago, and we usually have turns in what we watched. The last film we watched was Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Um, and that was a lot better than the movie I'm about to talk to you about. But the, last, the movie before that we watched was Noah. We went and watched Noah. And, and I, was, I was definitely going in prepared, knowing that this film was going to be junk. I've come to believe that, you know... When Hollywood tells any story, let alone the Bible, again, it usually butchers the story. You know, I, I love Greek classics, you know, um, like the, uh, the, the Odyssey and, what was it, Troy, the film Troy of Brad Pitt. Great film. Totally off the story that Homer wrote thousands and thousands of years ago. That's just what Hollywood does. And so we went into Noah, and I'm like preparing myself, going, you know what? This film's going to be junk, but I want to see what this is all about probably could be something I could talk to my students about, you know, if they watch it. And um, I went in and, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting in there watching my wife and she's like, oh my goodness, this film's horrible. And <laughs> we eventually left the film and I was just like thinking theologically, man, they, they really attacked this concept of God right here and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm picking through all of this and I, I'm a little bit weird like this, but after a movie... Um, I often go look up the director and look up reviews of the film. It's a really reversed process. I don't look at the review, then look at the movie. I look at the movie, then I look at the review. I'm like, I wonder what people have said about this. And I found the review that um, the guy who directed the film, uh, or he, he, there was an interview with him I, I found on the internet about the movie. And he's Jewish. He's an atheist uh, Jewish doesn't really make sense. He's raised a Jew, but now he's an atheist. And he, he basically said, look, guys, um, there's a lot of Christians out there who are really upset with my movie, but everything in this movie is completely biblical. I haven't put anything in there that's not biblical. And I was thinking, hmm, hang on a minute. I'm pretty sure that God isn't, you know, out to kill everyone and just start the whole world again with animals. You know, I've looked at this thing before. I'm pretty sure that's not in there. And, and I thought to myself, you know what, hang on. He's a Jewish guy. I haven't got any problems with Jewish people. I went and celebrated Passover a few weeks ago. That was fun. I love Jewish people. Um, 
but the, the, the tendency here would probably believe that, look, there's a Jewish guy. He, he knows the story better than anybody else. What's in there must be true. There must have been angels who look like big rock monsters. Has anybody seen it? Okay. There's a bit trippy, this film. There's Satan's angels. They were just trying to do good things. They were trying to help humanity. And God was like, no, you can't help them. And he turned them into big rock monsters. That's in the Bible. Anyway, my, what I'm getting at is it's easy for us to kind of go, look, what this guy's saying is true. He's, he's Jewish. He's credible without actually going through things ourselves. And this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this guy has an agenda, I discovered. His agenda is to actually promote that, you know, greenhouse gases are destroying the planet, um, whether you agree with that or not. But that was, that's a big agenda that he has that comes through a lot of his films. And, you know, I could definitely see how this film, watching it, people could come by and go, look, well, just, you know, we really need to, we're bad humans, we need to destroy us, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's easy to see how people's thoughts, without challenging what they're thinking, can easily be corrupted. And a lid of leaven um, leavens the whole lump. Paul continues, and he's more optimistic after this little down bit. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. God will deal with these people that, he's talk- that, that have been the problem in the Galatian church and who've led everybody else astray. He had faith that the people could overcome if they brought their thoughts front and center back to Jesus, his son. Now, this is important here. I, I thought I'd throw this in. There's a few of us who are teachers, but when you're a teacher, there's big responsibility that the Bible places on you. This is a side note in James 3, verse 1, and that says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And, you know, when I first came across that text, I'm like, why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm a teacher and I've trained to be a pastor. This is kind of scary. God's saying, look, there's, there's a really big, you know, burden for people who are teachers. And I thought I'd share this because many of us are in positions of responsibility where we, it's up to us to share the gospel. And what God is saying here is, well, through James, brother of Jesus, what he's saying is, look, you've got to be aware, guys, that you can't just teach willy-nilly. When you are talking on my behalf, there's definite consequences to what you do or don't say. And the church in Galatia was being subjected to people who hadn't taken this really seriously, that teaching is a high call. A lot of us who work in churches or who are involved in small groups, we have big responsibilities to the people we introduce to to Jesus. I've seen people who've done a lot of damage, and I'm not saying that's us, but you know, you've turned people off God forever, and it's really sad to see that, you know. Um, how does that make God feel when he sees someone who's just like, I'm not, I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore, and, and um, it's because of this person here or that person there. And, and you know, I'm thinking of, you know, of places I've been in my own home church. I'm just speaking from my experience, and I think of the people I grew up with in church, and, and so many people are just not here today because somebody did something horrible, they said, you're going to hell in a handbasket because you've got, you know, jeans with tears in them when you're rocked up, and, you know, all sorts of weird stuff like that, but they have lasting impacts, the things we say, the things we teach, and whilst that is a, a, um, a specific word for teachers, 
in many ways, all of us have a responsibility to share the gospel because that's what Jesus told us to do. And we have, um, I guess, a real high uh, sense of responsibility that we need to take with this, this commission. Um, but let's keep on reading. So, verse 11, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So the question is, is it wrong to point out someone's sins? Paul is doing it right now. He's saying, well, why, you know, let me read this again. Let me, just to give it a context. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. One of the biggest people in Paul's ministry who, who hated on him were Jewish people for the simple fact that he was teaching against circumcision and, and the rules and the regulations. Here you read through Acts, Paul has a really hard life, and it's amazing that he chooses to, to follow Jesus in spite of all the hard things he's doing. And, and he's saying, look, I've, I've taught against this sort of thing before, and I do it because that's what I've been taught by God, and it's important. You know? um, should, you know, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, for some of us, it's offensive that Jesus has died for us. You know, I, I heard a great sermon this morning. Um, I was at the Polish church, and, and uh, it's amazing how God brings things together. But at, at, this, the, at the Polish church, um, uh, this guy was preaching about the people who were there at the cross. I never thought about it. But in one sermon, he presented all the different people who were present at the cross. There were the two Marys. There was... Cleopas, the mother of one of, of some of the disciples. Um, there were the soldiers. There was John. And he systematically went through all the different people and what kind of impact the cross had on them. And particularly for, for, uh, for the mother of James and John, um, I discovered for the first time, like, oh, you know what? Her being at the cross would have been really offensive for her. Because if you go back to the story of James and John, James and John's mother's like, um, Hey, Jesus, um, you know when you go back to your kingdom one day in heaven, would it be okay if you put my sons in charge of this whole gig? You know, they can sit one on your left hand, one on your right hand. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, and Jesus kind of rebukes and says, hey, 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 that's, that's not what this kingdom's all about. And then she, she's at the cross with the two Marys and they're weeping. And at the cross for the first time, she realized what Jesus' kingdom was all about. It's about putting yourself last, not putting yourself first. And for, for her, being there, the cross was an offense. And, and what Paul's saying is, look, you know, much of what we have to say can be quite offensive to people who've hold on to their legal traditions all their lives. It was for James and John's mother, and it can be for us when we think about how have I approached, you know, Jesus? You know, when I look at what he's done for me, am I being offended because he kind of rebukes who I am and what I've been about? You know, have I been wanting to promote myself as a, a young preacher, Ryan Vitter? Have I wanted to just be like, I'm awesome, I'm this and that? But then I look at the cross and see Jesus wasn't all about being awesome and he's all hot. He actually put himself last. And so the cross can be an offense for us. And these Judaizers were saying, no, 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 let's just promote ourselves. It's all about what we do. Jesus, yes, he's important, but it's also about what you do. And then you look at the cross and you go, wow, Jesus, he went through a lot of bad stuff for me. And, oh, no, I definitely can do this on my own. I, yeah, Jesus did that, but yeah, there's still stuff I need to do. 
And so the cross can be offensive for those of us who still try and do things to, to earn our salvation, to show that we've got the right sort of stuff. And I, I really love that verse because it cuts me to the heart. Paul's saying to me, you know, are you, are you offended by the cross? Does it offend you that Jesus did this for you, that he's died for you, that he's uh, lived that perfect life which you can't, but you're trying to? Yeah, sit back down and think about it. And it's offensive. You know, he's shutting us down. He caps his offense, and this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible since I discovered it. Verse 12. I wish those of those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> okay, so you kind of get the picture here. Paul's saying, look, if, you see, if these people are teaching you circumcision, it's a good thing to do. It's a little, you know, little snip snip will, will, will do the job. But why don't you, you know what? They can just cut the whole thing off if that's how they're going to become holy. If a, if a little snip snip is what makes you holy, then they might as well chop the whole thing off. I know it's a church and we're thinking, well, this is kind of a really crazy thought. But Paul is saying this. You know, he's almost saying to us, and I'm going back to that kind of analogy I used, if you think baptism is what's going to get you saved, the act of going under the water, then just stay under the water. It's harsh words. But Paul's almost inferring that. If you think that drinking communion and eating bread and washing your feet is going to, to get you saved, then just, then just drink juice all day and eat bread all day and wash your feet. You know, Peter didn't get this idea at first. You know, Jesus says to Peter, you know, when this communion first service first happened and Peter, Jesus says to Peter, let me wash your feet. Peter's like, oh, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, no, I need to. This is really important. It's, a, it's an important symbol. And Peter's like, well, if this is so important, then just wash all of me. And then there's people like that. They just take things to their extreme. And Paul's saying, look, again, this is our logical conclusion. If it's what you do that counts, then, then draw it all out. Don't chop it off. Kind of scary thought, but He's using harsh words, and, he, and I think he's really targeting the people who are selling this idea. So what, what is Paul's big deal? Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Basically, guys, you've been called to freedom. Take off that yoke of slavery and use your life that God's given you, this new freedom. He's died for you. You don't have to do anything. Use it wisely. There's kind of this, um, there's this big movement in Christianity, and, and it, it kind of goes to the, to, the, to the effect of Jesus died for you, and we've all heard it in various forms. Jesus has died for you, and, and, and you're okay. No matter what you do, no matter what happens next, so he's addressing both sides. Okay, There's the super legalists, but now he's going to the, the big liberals on the other side. You know, Jesus has died for you, but don't use the freedom that he's given you to just go back into a life of sin. Okay, you've got to, 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 to use your life, uh, your freedom, the freedom that we talked about earlier, in the, the true sense that God uses freedom. And freedom is always about living a life of worship and service to him. It's not freedom to go do whatever we want. That's kind of how our culture sort of treats freedom. And in many ways, that's what freedom is. But biblical freedom has different nuances that, that our secular freedom doesn't. So, uh, John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And it, to me, that's a, that's a summary of what freedom is. When Jesus has set you free, and you love him, you're going to keep his commandments. And it's kind of opposite of what we think freedom is. 
It's freedom to do what we've been called, like I said earlier. Trying to obey Jesus without loving him is foolish. I've been there. The life of freedom, which is purpose for worship, is expressed well through service to others as well. Matthew 10, as I was reading the abbreviated version, Matt 10, Matthew 10, verse 39 says, Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. When we meet Jesus, we have an encounter with him, and he sets us free. Things start to change in our lives. We want to start serving him, as I've read before, but we also want to serve others. And that's a big difference about the Judaizers. They were all about serving themselves. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing. I'm this great hot teacher. Listen to what I have to say. Do what I do. But there was very little focus on helping the community, helping the other people in their own context, in their own environment. And true freedom sets us free to actually just serve people. How often do we just feel obligated to serve out of the goodness that Jesus has shown us? God just loves me so much. He he set me free. And, in, you know, just because he has, I just want to demonstrate to you just the kind of love that he demonstrated to me. That's what happens when we're set free by the gospel, by what Jesus has done for us. Verse 14, uh, Paul quotes Jesus here, interestingly, interestingly. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the reply Jesus gave when asked, What is the most important thing to do? And that answer is, love God, love your neighbor. If we learn to do things that would take care of ethics, law, and morality, um, then we've missed the whole point. The focus is, it's got to be about Jesus in us, and, and through Jesus we will learn to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We don't love our neighbors because it's the right thing to do. I've got to be good to my neighbor. You're like, hello, I shook your hand today, tick. You know, that, that, that's a kind of weird kind of Christianity, you know. It's not about that. It's about having him inside of us. And we start to live. I'm sure all of us have met that person. who's just so bubbly. You know, like, goodness, what's this person on? They're like, I'm full of Jesus. And they're just so happy. And they make your workplace nicer. Or they don't even have to be Christian. But you just know people like that. And they're just so infectiously loving and happy. And they'll bend over to help anyone. And, you know, I just love people like that, and, and I'd love to have that experience in my own life. You know, freedom to be this kind of person, and it's not because I have to be like that. I just want to be like that. It's just, that's the gospel working inside of me. The trick, though, is just to make sure that we don't make this kind of lifestyle the new legalism. And that's a very easy thing to do. It's easy to make being a good person the new right thing. We've got to all be good people who do this. It's even easy to say we're not allowed to circumcise. If you're circumcised, you're bad. We can easily make legalisms out of anything. And what Paul's saying is so important, but it's we have to be mindful that the focus has just got to be Jesus and everything I believe, and I know it sounds naive, but I honestly believe when Jesus is front and center in our lives, everything starts to fall into place. I'm going to read you a little quote. It's not so little, it's two paragraphs. But I'll just close on this. If you want people changed, love them. That love transforms. We tend to think of love as a romantic and sentimental way. The Bible speaks of love in an efficacious and transforming way. God's love doesn't just feel gushy. God's love does things. God's love makes rebels into sons and daughters. God's love 
makes dirty people clean. God's love makes lawbreakers obedient. God's love takes lost people and brings them home. God's love takes self-righteous people and humbles them. God takes hurting people and his love encourages them. God love, God's love does things. It changes us and that love is given into our hearts and we are conduits through which God's love is shared. And it's glorious that we even get to participate in that. And he goes on to encourage them. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. You guys are going to kill each other. You're going to ruin friendships. You're going to split the families. You're going to destroy the church. You're going to take all the glorious things that God has done and you're going to shatter them because you're not loving each other. And this is the one thing that we can't fake. We can fake every other religious ritual and routine and tradition, but spirit-empowered love is something that only God can do. And... I guess, friends, you know, I've, I know a lot of you from, from going to small groups and things like that, but it's my deep prayer that this is what this church is all about, that kind of love. And on great days like today, people of Melbourne know that there's a place where they can be warmed up by the love that Jesus has for them, just flowing through all of us. Now, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your harsh words, Lord. Sometimes we don't like to read these words. Sometimes we don't like to look at them because they're kind of scary and it's not nice to be told off. But you tell us off because you love us, Lord, and you also correct us. You give us direction. I want to say thank you, Lord. My deep, earnest prayer for this church here, the Melbourne Exchange, is that that this church will grow so much in your love and that it will be a church that is known for your love in the city of Melbourne. There are so many churches, Lord, but I pray this one will be that light which draws people who are feeling, you know, lonely, feeling um, neglected, Lord, that this place will be a place where your Holy Spirit will, will work through each and every one of its members, showing the beautiful person of Jesus. Um, be with this church, Lord. I believe that you've got a big plan for them and a future for them. And, and your son Jesus is definitely a part of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.